Again, it's good to see each one of you here tonight. If we could have filled these two rows up, it looks like we'd almost had a full house again tonight, but I appreciate each one of you and being here. And You know, I have mixed emotions, and when a gospel meeting comes to the conclusion, because I've, I've enjoyed being with so many of you, and some of you every night of the service, and I began to love you and and just didn't really enjoy my time with you. But, you know, I was telling my wife today, it's always good to come home. It's always good to go home. Uh, back with the congregation where I work. Uh, you know, I was talking to one of our elders today, and he called me if we'd lost one of our, one of the elders' wives died this afternoon about 4 o'clock. And so it's kind of a, a little bit of a shock there to the congregation. And they're, they're dealing with that tonight. But as we talked about, that's a reality. And uh, the, well, the elder that had called me, he said, now, you know we limit you on the number of gospel meetings you can have. And I, I said, oh, I remember that. He said, well, you just ask me each time if you get close to the limit of how many gospel meetings you can hold. But, you know, I hear people from time to time say that, you know, it's uh, gospel meetings are a thing of the past. Well, I don't know. They haven't come out to Pippin ever. This has been a great, great gospel meeting, and you have attended just uh, wonderful, and we appreciate that. I want us to take just a moment, since this is the last night of our gospel meeting, and just say a few things that's on my heart. Some of you that I met a few years ago, I want to tell you that I love you so much, and you've meant so much to me spiritually, that you have encouraged me so much, and I love you for that. I noticed that uh, the gentries came in, and sometimes I, I'm reluctant to mention a name because, and you know, when I come to an area, sometimes I'll try to visit one or two, and then I feel bad there because there's so many that I would like to go to see. But, but I wanted to mention uh, Keith and Karen Gentry and you know, they have meant so much to me, and Karen uh, runs some papers off of me that I've used all over the United States in teaching open Bible study seminars, and, and I'm just so thankful, and every time that I hold one of those seminars and I start handing those sheets out, I, I think of Karen Gentry. Uh, again, good to see my cousin Jackie uh, Bradley here. Uh, Jackie and I are cousins. Both of us over in White County, that's at least where we started. Uh, and I mentioned, I think, in Holiday, there was four of us in the first grade, and Jackie and I were two of them. Uh, I don't know who was valedictorian and all that, but anyway, uh, we were raised over there, and of course, Jackie lives here in Cuba and got a wonderful furniture business out here on Will Avenue, and, and uh, I guess I would have to say that Cookville's almost my adopted home that I love and have been in so many of your homes, and and again, thank you so much for being here. It's encouraged me. As I've prepared the lessons, I've tried to think of, of lessons where there would be an application. And I know a number of you have mentioned the fact that you have started reading the nine chapters of the New Testament. You've already started that, and, and that's just wonderful. And you know, if you, if you just read six someday, don't worry about that because that might be four or five or six more than you used to read every day, right? 
So I hope you will continue in reading, set a goal for you, and feed upon God's word. We, we're so interested in feeding our physical bodies, but we need to feed our spiritual entity every day of our lives. Tonight I have chosen for the conclusion of our gospel meeting a sermon that I have titled, A Servant's Heart. A Servant's Heart, and we noticed as we translate that word from the Koine Greek, which the New Testament was originally written in. It can also be translated as slave. And sometimes I believe if we will use that word instead of a servant, we might uh, have a little better understanding of what the Bible teaches about having a servant heart. I realized that uh, years ago that that when John F. Kennedy was president of the United States, he made a very profound statement that I have heard people mention from time to time, and I have at various times in my sermons, where he said, ask not what the country can do for you, but what you can do for the country. And I think that is a very, very profound statement, and and we might use that as we think about the Lord's church that he, that he purchased with his precious blood. And as we think about Christianity in general, maybe we shouldn't be talking about what can it do for us, but what can we do for it, the cause of Christianity and saving the souls of mankind. We mentioned in one of the lessons that the reason that Jesus came to this earth in Luke 19, verse 10, is to, to seek and to save that which was lost, which means every single individual at some point in their life, because of sin, they're separated from God. And so you and I, as God's children, have a responsibility to serve him or to be a servant or a slave. I suppose that if we polled most of the young people that are in here and maybe those that are older, that uh, if you had the opportunity to say, well, I, my, goal is, my goal is to be a, a medical doctor, or your goal might be to be a lawyer, or maybe an entertainer, or maybe one of the great athletes, or maybe even the President of the United States. I'm not sure how many people would tell you that they want to be a slave, a servant. There wouldn't be many, would there? But you know, as we think about the Apostle Paul and, and what he means to the cause of Christianity, when he writes the letter to the church at Philippi, a Roman colony there in, in Macedonia, and as he begins to write to them in that first chapter, in the first verse, he refers to himself and Timothy as servants of Jesus Christ. And that can be rendered as a slave of Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ chose that, that title for himself also as a servant or a slave. And we need to emulate that in our lives. 
someone was just, we were just talking a minute ago, and they said, what's your sermon tonight? And I told him, and then he made a great statement. I said, now don't preach my sermon. You know, being a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ means emulating him in our lives. And as we think about that great, great sermon that, that he delivered that we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, chapter 6 and chapter 7, we find that Jesus talks about some of the principles that we need to have in our lives as a servant of God. And one of those things in Matthew 7 and verse 12, it says, Do unto others as you would have them to do unto you. As Jesus was discussing the principles of living the Christian life and, and following him and being one of the servants, this principle, go the second mile. That's the principle of being a servant or a slave. Going that second mile. And, you know, Jesus told us something that, that is quite difficult for us, really, is if someone slaps you on one side of the cheek, you do what? You turn the other. Now, that's tough, right? But that's being a servant or a slave. If you will think about the setting and the time of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that slavery was so prevalent in that world in that day and time. I'm told in the time of Jesus Christ that in those big cities like Rome that there would be a third of the population would be slaves. And so they understood that concept. As God was revealing his word and telling us that we need to be servants or we need to be slaves, they knew what that meant. A slave in that day and time was just property. They did not have the privilege of contracting a marriage. They were not allowed to own any property. They had total allegiance to their masters. And when a crime was committed by one of those slaves, the punishment was so much more severe than the normal people. If you'll think about it back in the Old Testament, in Exodus chapter 21, 2 through 6, it talks about those Hebrew slaves. And those slaves were many times purchased with money just like they purchased property. And many times those individuals became slaves as a, as a payment for a, a violent crime. However, did you know that sometimes those individuals chose to be a slave voluntarily? You say, well, I don't understand that. When that says chapter 21, it reveals to us some guidelines that they used concerning the Hebrew slave that when they were purchased or owned by someone that after six years they were freed that seventh year to go 
If they came in as a single individual purchased by that owner, then that person would be released and left in freedom by himself. If he brought a wife into that relationship with that master, then she would be released with him that seventh year. But if he came in single and that master purchased him or assigned him a wife and they had children, when it was time for him to be released, he could not take that wife and those children with him. And many times he voluntarily decided to stay permanently as a slave. And they brought him to the post. They took an awl and pierced his ear with a sign that he would be a permanent slave for the rest of his life. Because of love. In 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, it tells us there in verses 15 through 17 that the love of Christ constraineth us. The love of Christ appeals, compels us to be a servant or a slave of His. We find that Jesus was a servant. Jesus was a slave to the Father in heaven. And the Bible reveals to us that we are to, to emulate Jesus in our lives. And so we must become a slave or a servant to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That means that he owns us. And that means that everything he wants us to do, we are to do. In Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, it says, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And as a servant or a slave of our Lord, it does not mean that we are to fear God in being afraid of God and so forth. It's to honor him and to glorify him. And not only that, but Solomon says to keep his commandments. Isn't that what Jesus tells us? In John 14 and verse 15, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. You know, you might want to turn with me to math, uh, Mark the 10th chapter. In verse 42, I want to share some words with you there for just a moment. In Mark 10, beginning... And verse 42. And before we begin to look into the text of what Jesus has revealed to us, we need to think about what it's like out here in the civil world. That those individuals that are powerful in these huge corporations, they are served by others. But did you know that when you are a slave of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it's a whole new ballgame. Notice in verse 42, Jesus, he called them to him and he said unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles 
exercise lordship over them. And their great ones exercise authority upon them. In other words, individuals that are great and powerful out here in the business world, in the civilian life, they are to be served. That's what Jesus is saying. But so shall it not be among you. You that are my slaves, you that are my servants, you that have the servant heart, that's not the way it is. He says, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister or servant or slave. And you know, I've thought about that a lot, and I want you to just, I want you to think, look inward of the congregations where you attend on a regular basis. And those individuals that are the strongest spiritually, those individuals that have the, the closest relationship with God, did you know that they are the ones that go the second mile? That's what Jesus is saying. The greater spirituality and the better relationship that you have with the master, the greater you're going to serve, not to be served, but to serve. The heart of the servant. And going the second mile, you know, it's amazing in some places that the Bible says in Romans 2 and 11 that God is not a respecter of persons. But it's amazing many times in our own congregations where people are respecter of persons. And one time an individual said this to me and it made me feel so good. He said, Carl, one thing about you. He said, we all have our shortcomings. But he said, you never pay attention to an individual how thick his billboard is. You see, we are all to be servants of the Lord. Slaves in his vineyard. And every single soul is important. And Jesus said those people, the elders in the church and, and the deacons and the, and the preachers and all these people that have a deep relationship with God, those are the ones that are going to serve. Those are the ones that are going to go the second mile. And whosoever of you, verse four, 44, and whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant or slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister or to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Did you know that many times when we talk about one that ministers or one that is a minister, we're just talking about the pulpit preacher, but you know it's much beyond that. Did you know that every single one of us, when we become a New Testament Christian, we become a minister? That means that one who is to serve other people. Paul said in 2 Timothy 2 and verse 2, that those that are faithful have a responsibility to teach others, to serve others. I want you to go with me to John the 13th chapter. 
John the 13th chapter, and we're talking about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who in at least 10 places in the Bible is, is referred to as God because He's part of the Godhead that we read about in Colossians 2 and 9 and other places. But Jesus came to this earth as deity or God in the flesh. He took on the flesh and served and ministered to others rather than being served. And you know, I think of the shame that he experienced and leading up to his crucifixion, thereby serving us, providing the forgiveness of sins, the need that you and I have so deeply because we all sin and come short of the glory of God. And I think about our Lord Jesus as a slave or a servant and, and how they beat him. How they blindfolded him and, and slapped him on the face and said, prophesy, tell us who this is. And ultimately killed him on Calvary's cross. Jesus came to serve. And you and I are to emulate him in our lives. And John the 13th chapter is a perfect example of Jesus in, in serving others. In this chapter, we will find where Jesus was washing those individuals' feet. And we need to understand the setting there in Palestine in that day and time. That those individuals were walking with sandals and so forth. And I'm told traditionally on the inside of the, of the house there, there'd be a mason there. There'd be some water. And, and so if you came in to visit someone or, or came by, that one of the most humble things that you could do and traditional was to wash that individual's feet. That's being a servant. However, we find many times that, that as the Passover is served here, individuals today try to make the washing of the feet as a part of their worship service and as a part of the Lord's Supper, but it is not meant to be. Paul, as he was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 10, there he was talking about a widow that was a widow indeed, and one of her qualifications there was to show hospitality and to wash the feet of the saints. She must be involved in those good works. So this was a good work. It was a very humble work. And we find that the water was poured in the basin there. It talks about it in verse 5. And here Jesus was with his disciples and Remember the story there? He came to Peter. And Peter was what we would call an extrovert. And Peter didn't want him to wash his feet. He thought that was degrading. But not so as a servant or as a slave. And that's what he wants us to do. In verse 10, Jesus said unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet. But he's clean everywhere, every whit, and ye are 
are clean, but not all. And verse 11, it says, ye are not all clean. Talking about Judas Iscariot. And we find there that, that Jesus took his outer clothes or his outer garments off on this occasion. And the Bible there says that he took a garment or a towel and wrapped around his waist. And he bent down there. He washed their feet and dried their feet. That was a servant. And Jesus said, I want you to do the same thing, not necessarily washing the feet because, you know, one time I, I want to tell a little story. There was a lady that was cutting my hair and she uh, was telling uh, that uh, this coming Sunday they were going to wash feet. And I asked her, I said, now, do you wash both of them? She said, no, you just wash one of them. I said, now, wait a minute. Do you wash that foot before you go? She said, oh, I'll make it sure it's clean. I said, well, now, why are you going to wash it again if you've already washed it? So I had a big time out of her, but I'm saying that it's being a servant to wash someone's feet. That's what he's telling us. Now, I want you to look in Matthew, the 25th chapter also. And talking about having the heart of the slave. And beginning there in verse 35 in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus said, For I was hungry and you gave me meat. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Verse 35, Matthew 25. I was a stranger and you took me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and ye visited me. I was in prison and you came unto me. But I want you to notice how they responded. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw thee a hungry? When did we see you hungry, Lord? And fed thee? When did we see you thirsty, Lord? And when did we give you a drink? When saw we a stranger and took you in, verse 38? Or naked and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick or in prison and came unto thee? And the king said unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. You know, I know today that many times we are insensitive to the needs of people. And sometimes I believe because of TV and the things that we see on TV may desensitize us to those that need and those that are poor. But did you know part of being a servant is taking care of those that are in need and loving our fellow man? I don't know where we got to the point as a servant with a servant heart <clears throat> of saying that, you know, if we're going to be sound in our teaching that we can't be loving and kind. I don't read that in my Bible. 
I believe that if we are sound doctrinally, that we will be loving and kind. And that we will be sensitive to the needs of people. I believe that with all my heart. And you know, as we live our lives, uh, we see, I mentioned a few moments ago, that, that people frown upon poor people. And you know what? I can never do that. Because I will tell you, with us eight children, we were as poor as anyone. And I was lucky to be able to get an education. My dad, he was the, as poor as we were. He would always say, children, seven boys and one girl. Children, you need to get an education. But I want to tell you something. I remember. I remember those days. And I believe that that has shaped my ministry. I heard one the other day say, well, you know this place where you used to preach? <clears throat> Did you know they've gotten rid of all those poor people? you imagine what that did to my heart? I read a story about an individual, an older man that was weak and feeble. And he was walking along the beach, and you may have read this story. He was walking along the beach, and, and all these snails had washed up on the beach, millions of them. And every once in a while, this old man would he would reach down and he'd throw one of them in the water. And he'd walk on a little further and he'd reach down and he'd, he'd throw one, another one in the water. And someone said, old man, just a few. You're just throwing a few in. There's millions. But he said this, oh, what it means to those that I threw in there. What it means to those people. You know, Paul talks about in Philippians 1, as I mentioned, chapter 1. By the way, that's a verse that, the only verse I know in the New Testament that mentions the whole makeup of the church. You ever notice that? Paul and Timothy there as preachers or servants or slaves. Then it talks about the bishops or elders. It talks about the deacons and it talks about all the saints. And Paul referred to himself as a servant or as a slave. And you know what I ask you today? Do you consider yourself beyond serving? your fellow man. Jesus went the second mile. Paul went the second mile. And you and I need to emulate that in our lives. We need to have that slave's heart. Yes, you own me, Lord. You know, we have all kinds of trouble at, at church of getting people to to pick individuals up that, can, that don't have a right. That just blows my mind. I'll try to get them to pick it up. Just pick them up one, one time. 
one time this week. And I said, you know, for 14 years, a congregation, I preached that three times a week. I picked them up in my van. And I believe that if we, again, will read and study God's Word and realize the, the consent and what it means to be a slave of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that, that many of these things will not even be a question. You remember Paul as he was going around to, to all the congregations and, and he was taking up uh, funds to, to take to the poor saints there at Judea. You remember that? And Paul writing that second letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 5, he was telling those Corinthians about those individuals in Macedonia. And you know what he said about them in 2 Corinthians 8 and 5? It says, first, they gave themselves. Let me tell you. If we will give ourselves to God as his slave or his servant, all these other things are going to be minor. It will be just secondary. And you know, that's why that I, I emphasize keep reading that word. And, and I mentioned Philippians 2 and 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, it reveals to us that, that God speaks to us through his word. Speaks to us through his word. And did you know if we have and keep that servant heart, that our congregations will literally explode. You know, a congregation one time told me, he said, Carl, you're converting all these people to Christ, but we want you to convert some of these bankers. And I tell them, I said, listen, you go down to Walmart and you walk around and you see the masses of people that look just like you. And there's not many of them that looks like the banker, right? But I want to tell you something. Every soul to God is just as important as another soul. In 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, it reveals to us that God wants all of us to be saved. And I'm telling you, we've announced here, and I was, I was telling some of you that, that one of our elders' wives died this afternoon. You know, at death, that's a great leveling agent, right? An equalizer. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 and verse 7. He says, we came into this world with nothing, and it is for sure that we can take nothing out. So the most important thing is for us to become a child of God, owned by him. And to be his servant and be his slave because in Colossians 3 and 1, it tells us that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And he has each one of us in a secondary sense as his ambassadors. He gave every single one of us the great commission to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You know, Jesus, he was concerned about people's souls. But he was also concerned about the physical problems they had. Isn't that right? 
And I believe that one of the things, without getting political, that's, that's doing great harm to our country today is the welfare system we have from the government standpoint. They have taken it away from us as God's people. They've taken the benevolence away from us. A servant. Serve God. Be in his army. You know, this may be the this may be the last time that I ever have the opportunity to preach her. Who knows? It is for sure that the same people that are here tonight will never be here again, all of us at one time. That's for sure. Where are you? Where are you in your relationship to God? Did you know that today that, that many times our gospel preachers do not even tell the plan of salvation anymore? I don't think that's preaching. The reason that you and I are here tonight is to be sure that every person is a child of God. And the reason we're here tonight, if we're children of God, that we want to be better servants of God. And you know, if anything, in this gospel meeting, I pray that I have motivated you. I know that many of you know God's word. But I want us to become team players rather than sitting on the bench. Tonight, I want you to examine it. Tonight, I want you to look inward. Last night, we talked about the Bible as being a mirror of our soul. Tonight, as you look into your Bible, that's a mirror of your soul. Do you like what you see? <clears throat> and if you don't, you need to do something about it starting tonight. If you are already a Christian and you have not been a servant of the Lord, a slave to the Lord, serving him every day of your life, I pray tonight that you will, that you will enter the race not a hundred yard dash, but a marathon. Tonight you may be here, and I don't know, you know. You might be here tonight and might not be a child of God. God has a plan of redemption. And it goes through his son Jesus. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He said, no one cometh to the Father except by me. The path. The straight and narrow way. Matthew 7, 13, 14 is through Jesus. Are you traveling that straight and narrow way? Or are you traveling that broad and wide way that leads to destruction? You say, well, I'm going to get it straight before I leave here. And I'd say that the individuals that are sitting here tonight that do not have it right with God have plans before they leave this world to get it right. Did you know there might not be a tomorrow? Isn't that what James says in James 4 and 14? A very direct question. He says, for what is your life? 
a vapor. It'll appear for a little time and then it vanishes away. That's the way life is. Are you here tonight? And do you believe in Jesus Christ? Acts 15 and 7 talks about that we must believe in Jesus Christ. Are you willing to believe in him to the point that you're willing to turn your back on that old way of life, which is repentance? Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, I tell you nay, but except you repent. He said, ye shall all likewise perish. Are you willing to confess the name of Christ? The eunuch in Acts, the eighth chapter, when Jesus was preached to him, in verse 37, he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was baptized into Christ. Paul was told after he got into the city of Damascus what he must do. In Acts 22 and verse 16. And now why tarest thou? Why wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. Did you know that you can do that tonight? If you don't have it right, I don't know how you go home tonight and lay down and sleep knowing that there might not be a tomorrow. This may be the last invitation song that you will ever hear. Won't you respond as we stand and sing?